Dean Bible Ministries presents the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Robert Dean, pastor of West Houston Bible Church. These and other Bible lessons are available from www.deanbible.org. Now let's listen to our lesson from God's Word, the Bible. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Jesus prayed to the Father, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now before we get started, let's have a few moments of silent prayer to make sure we are spiritually prepared and ready to study the word. And then I will open in prayer. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to come together this evening to study your word. And we pray that as we go through our study this evening that we'll we'll be uh, impressed with the consistency of your word and how as we study Old Testament to New Testament, how the the themes, the development of key ideas all uh, is consistent, hangs together, and that the uh, New Testament shows the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament uh, foreshadows that which is in the New Testament. We, and we pray that as we study these things, that uh, your plan and purpose in history and in our lives will also be made uh, more clear as we're able to develop a Uh, wisdom and understanding from our understanding of your plan. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, tonight we're in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And in Revelation 21, we shift gears into another period. We have uh, covered the period of the Messianic kingdom that is uh, covered in Revelation chapter 20, culminating with the uh, great white throne judgment that comes at the end of the Messianic period. And then there is a shift indicated by the first words in verse 1. John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Now, as we look at this, and we look at this chapter, just to give you a little bit of an overview, there's the introduction in verse in verse 1 of this next period that the focus is on a period of a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 2, John focuses on the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. Then he, and that's the subject of verse 2, and then verse 3 shifts to the tabernacle, and the dwelling of God within the new heaven and new earth. And then we come down to verse 9. There's a more detailed look at the, at the new Jerusalem, and that takes us all the way down to the end of, the, uh, end of this chapter. And then there's, again, another uh, shift at the beginning of chapter 22. Now, as we look at 21 and try to uh, come to an understanding of what's going on here, we have to at least address a couple of different things and then go back and pull some things together from the Old Testament. The first key phrase that we see here at the beginning is, now I saw. question we need to ask is, 
what kind of a break does this indicate? Uh, as John writes, he's given a series of visions. It's like uh, he's looking through a photo album, and he looks from one picture to another picture. And each time he moves from one picture to another, he indicates that by this phrase, now I saw or then I saw. And that phrase is used uh, a little bit over 34, 35 times in the uh, book of Revelation within the prophetic section. It doesn't mean that that each thing that he sees necessarily follows chronologically after the previous scene because sometimes the scenes shift from different uh, to different vantage points. And so it's just talking about he looks and he uh, sees this, then he uh, looks and sees this, but they may or may not be chronologically related. For example, if we're back in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 6, where he goes through the first six seal judgments, each time one of the seals on the scroll is broken, he says, then I saw the first seal, then he saw the second seal, then he saw the third seal. So that's obviously from the context uh, shows a progression from one event to the next. Then you get into other places where after you go through this, a very clear progression in Revelation 8 and 9 where he goes through the trumpet judgments, then there's a break at the end of chapter 9. You start chapter 10 and he says, then I saw, but chapter 10 is talking about a totally different uh, time frame. It's a summary of other things that were happening during the previous period covered in chapters 8 and 9. So just that phrase, then I saw, doesn't necessarily mean that the events that he is getting ready to uh, describe come chronologically after the previous chapter. Sometimes it's introducing material that happened at the same time as the previous chapter. And when I came to this, and I was thinking about that this morning, and I was studying this, I thought, well, I wonder if what we're going to see in chapter 21 is really another way of looking at the millennium. Chapter 20 talked about the millennial kingdom, the messianic kingdom from the Old Testament, and the way most of us have heard this taught is that chapter 21 then goes into the period when God totally recreates The present heavens and earth are destroyed, and then there's a new creation. However, there are some that think that chapter 21, and there are some dispensationalists that have uh, thought as they have uh, studied this, that chapter 21 isn't talking about a brand new, newly created heavens and earth, but it is another look at at the events that took place in the previous chapter. And John's not unknown for doing that, where he'll give you an overview in one chapter, and then the next chapter comes back and looks at the same time frame as the previous chapter, but but looking at different aspects of that same time period. Furthermore, in a couple of passages, the phrase new heavens and new earth is used not to describe a, a future recreation of the planet and the universe, but it's used to refer to the millennial kingdom. So there, and then I, I called up my friend Tommy, who is, of course, studying this in a lot more detail than I ever will for his, uh, for his doctoral dissertation. And I said, am I going crazy or is this a possible way to look at this? 
And he said, no, you're not. That was Darby's view. He said, I just discovered that last week in something I was reading. Now, those of you who know John Nelson Darby was a 19th century uh, theologian uh, that really articulate, systematized a lot of dispensational thought. And so that was Darby's view. So I had to spend most of the day cranking through a lot of different things and uh, putting this together. And so I'm going to give you the benefit of uh, <clears throat> walking back through that uh, with me again today. See, in verse 21, we're introduced to this phrase in the new heaven and the new earth. But this is not the first time this phrase is used. And normally... In any decent system of interpretation, whenever you see a phrase or a term, it's, it's, if, if there is a precedent for that term, if it's used at some time, uh, some earlier place, then you have to go back to those earlier uses to see what it's, uh, how it's used and how it's defined in those earlier contexts. And so the first place that we find this phrase a new heaven and a new earth is in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. So you can hold your place here in Revelation 21, and we're going to turn back and look at Isaiah chapter 65 and also chapter 60, uh, 66, because these are the two key places that uh, this, or the first, first two places chronologically that we really have some definition here, and we need to look at the context. Context is always critical for defining terms and understanding phrases to make sure uh, we have a good understanding. So in Isaiah chapter 65, we begin to go just to summarize the chapter. What we find in the first 16 verses is an indictment of Israel because of the way they rejected God in the Old Testament, because of idolatry in the nation, for their disobedience to the law. And so the first part of, of uh, Isaiah chapter 65 and the first, first seven verses, God reminds them of how he had continuously initiated a relationship with Israel, but they rejected it. It reveals how God again and again and again uh, gave things to the nation, but then they uh, rejected them. In the latter part of verse 1, he said, I said to them, here I am, here I am, to a nation uh, that was that was not called by my name. And <clears throat> I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their their own thoughts. And so these are people who continuously rejected him. They're rebellious. They're depicted as rebellious people that they walked in a way that was not good. And that's defined further as living on the basis of doing just what was right in their own eyes. They provoked God to anger. They sacrificed to idols. Uh, the people violated the law. They became um, ritually unclean. Uh, that's depicted by the fact that God says you sat in the cemeteries with the dead, you violated the dietary code, they ate pork, and they thought that they were holier than God. It all relates back to uh, to arrogance. So that's the indictment of the nation in the first seven, seven verses. Then there's a shift in verse 8 to how God uh, blessed them and that there was always a blessing for a remnant within the nation that God would not judge all of them, God would not destroy all of them, and there's a promise of a future blessing in verses 8, 9, and verse 10. For, as it says at the end of verse 10, for my people 
who have sought me, for those who went against the tide of idolatry in the nation, to those who sought him and were faithful to the law, faithful to God, then there was blessing for them. But then verse 11 returns to the indictment and states, But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, that is the temple, who prepare a table for Gab, and who furnish a drink offering uh, for many. Therefore, I will number you for the sword, that's judgment. You shall all bow down to slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. So the the chapter, the, the verses from 12 down through 16 then focus on this judgment that God will bring. But in verse 16, he reminds them again, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. This leads right to the verse that we're looking at in verse 17. It is the prediction that even though in the past there's been rebellion and judgment, yet God as a God of grace will not reject his people forever, but that there will be a restoration of the nation and God will bless them and establish the messianic kingdom that he had promised throughout the Old Testament. And so in verse 17 we read, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So the 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 chronology here is that there's judgment and then there's the cre- creation there's judgment, there's the salvation of the remnant, and then there is the uh, creation of a new heaven and a new earth. So that would indicate that the same thing that we saw at the end of uh, Revelation, there's the judgment that occurs in the at the end in the battle of Armageddon. There is the uh, Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah returning to the earth to deliver Israel and to rescue them, and then the establishment of the kingdom. So that appears that there is uh, there's uh, that the from the time flow that this isn't talking about the future eternal state, but it's talking about the millennial kingdom. There's some other things that indicate that as well, and I've just put a few of these verses up here on the screen. In verse 19, uh, God says, "I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people." The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her. That's in contrast to. A couple of previous chapters that describes the weeping in Jerusalem because the people are scattered. They are like sheep without a shepherd because of the horrors of, of judgment. So here the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. That's related to the new heavens and new earth. And that's similar to Revelation 21.4, the chapter that we're studying. The talk, just 21.1 says, talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So it appears that there may be a justification here for looking at this initial part of 21 related to the millennium and not to a future recreation. But there's some other problems. Look at verse 20, which is up there on the screen. Uh, this is talking about a period in Revelation 20, I mean, re- I mean, excuse me, in Isaiah 65, verse 20. No more shall an infant be, uh, from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. So there is, there's, there's birth taking place during this period. 
That's not the eternal state. That's got to be the millennial kingdom. Uh, nor an old man who's not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die uh, 100, uh, at 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So this, again, is you, you're going to have death. You have birth and death taking place during the new heaven and new earth of Isaiah chapter 65. And then the last verse says that the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. So that's the, if the serpent is still eating dust, then the curse is still, still in effect. But as we'll see in Revelation uh, 22, the curse gets rolled back in the eternal state. So this is using the phrase new heaven and new earth to refer to the period of the messianic kingdom, not the recreated heavens and the earth or future eternal state. The next verse that you, next time we see the phrase new heavens and new earth used is in Isaiah chapter 66, just the next chapter. So the context continues there. Remember in the original, they didn't have a chapter break. They didn't have verse breaks. That was all added much, much later. So you have a beginning in, in the, um, in, in the uh, 66th chapter continues to talk about the, the same time period. And it begins with the Lord speaking, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. So the first three verses of chapter 66 assert the authority of God. And again, he indicts the people, indicts Israel for their false or superficial worship because they've gone through the motions of sacrifice, but they weren't loyal to God. It was just a superficial uh, ritual. If you look down at verse 6, we hear, uh, noise from the city and a voice from the temple. So it's a time when there is a literal temple on the earth. There is a literal temple on the earth in the millennial kingdom. Remember, we studied that in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 describes the future uh, temple in Israel, the messianic temple. But when we get to the end of Revelation chapter 21, the last verse in Revelation uh, 21, verse 22, says that there will not be a uh, there will not be a temple in the eternal state in the new heavens and new earth of Revelation 21. There's no temple because God will be dwelling uh, with us. So again, there is a a, uh, a discrepancy there, and it's re- really talking about two different aspects. So this has led some to think that. Uh, Revelation, uh, though, though some would think that Revelation 21 might fit in the Messianic period, there's those differences that show that it can't. It has to be talking about a recreated state. Then we go on to read in verse, uh, verse 8, who has heard such a thing? Uh, well, actually in verse 7, you see the focus on a, a labor and birth uh, motif. Now, this 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 motif of of uh, labor pains is one that was used to describe the day of the Lord. That the day of the Lord was like a woman in labor giving birth to what to the kingdom. So here you have that same imagery used again of the labor pains in verse seven. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. It goes on. This is describing the birth of the new nation Israel in the messianic kingdom, and all of this culminates down 
in verse 22. Verse 22 we read, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one uh, Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me. Now this is again all in a context of something that relates to the millennial kingdom. So this has led, like I said, this has led some to try to uh, solve this problem or to think that maybe Revelation 21, using new heaven and new earth like Isaiah does in Isaiah 65 and 66, that that's really just another look at the at the millennial kingdom. But I've pointed out a couple of discrepancies there. For example, uh, Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel says there will be a temple during that period, whereas Revelation says that in the eternal state, uh, there's, or, which is the, in the chapter, chapter 21, there's no temple on the earth. And the best way to understand this is the way we understand several other, we see other things going on in Isaiah. Just turn back a couple of chapters to Isaiah chapter, chapter 61. And this is something that's important to understand in terms of, in terms of, of a prophecy and how the Old Testament prophet would look down the line, down the timeline of history, and he would not always distinct see the, that there were various time lapses between events. They would be viewed as all happening at the same time, but he, he doesn't realize that hundreds of years may separate uh, certain events. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 61 which is a well-known passage because it's quoted uh, by Jesus when he read the uh, Scripture passage in the Capernaum Synagogue in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. The reading for the day would have covered the, the verses down through, uh, he was supposed to read down through verse, uh, verse 4, and he stopped, though, at the beginning of verse 2. He read, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So he made a, he was making a claim, an implicit claim to being the Messiah, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stopped because he was showing that there were there were certain things he was going to fulfill at the first time that he came, and that that was his role was to provide redemption. His his role was spiritual. He wasn't coming to reign first and to suffer second, but to suffer first and to reign second. The whole thrust of the suffering servant is a major theme in Isaiah, from Isaiah 40 and following through. Uh, at least chapter 50, 59 or so, 58 or 59, it's a thrust of Isaiah chapter 53 that he was the uh, one who came and was to suffer uh, for our iniquities, for our sins. So he stops at the beginning of verse 2 to show that uh, the prophecy of verses verse 1 and the first part of 2 is fulfilled at the first coming, but at the second coming, this is when the remainder of the Messianic prophecy is fulfilled. The day of vengeance refers to the future uh, tribulation period and 
uh, the judgment when he will come to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion and to give them uh, beauty for ashes uh, at the end of the tribulation. Almost all is destroyed, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness so that uh, the Lord came first to suffer to pay the penalty for sin and second to reign. He didn't come initially to establish the kingdom, but he had offered the kingdom, though that was, that was rejected. So Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66 are using new heaven and new earth, not in as tight a technical way as Revelation 21 does. What we see is that, the, that Isaiah is is pulling elements of both the millennial kingdom and the future new heaven and new earth together uh, in his description here. Because literally, I mean, the, the circumstances of the, of the millennial kingdom are going to be very similar to the eternal state. The millennial kingdom is just phase one, at the end of which there's the great white throne judgment, then there is the recreation of the new heavens and a new earth, because the present heavens and earth have been so uh, marred and and distorted from the judgment related to sin upon uh, upon the creation that there needs to be a recreation of the heavens uh, and the earth. Now, I want to look at a couple of other passages that. Uh, that are used to refer to the idea that there is just a restoration going on and not a brand new creation in Revelation 21. First um, passages in uh, Psalm 102. Uh, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will, oh, these are a couple other passages that are um, that are related to uh, related to the fact that that um, uh, the new heavens and the new earth uh, must continue. Uh, Psalm 102, 25 and 26, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. So that passage is used to indicate that there's a new heavens, but this tends to look at the restoration rather than a completely brand new creation. And then the other passage that is uh, usually cited is Second Peter 3.13. We'll look at that passage in a little more detail in a minute, uh, where Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. And then he goes on to describe how the present heavens and earth will be completely burned up and destroyed before a new creation uh, comes along. So, But there are those that will, uh, for example, Arnold Fruchtenbaum and a number of others, take the position that this is this new heavens and new earth here really refers to a restoration of the present because it's the present earth is so destroyed during the tribulation period, that Second Peter uh, three is only talking about a restoration of the planet so that it becomes fully habitable again in the um, kingdom period following the tribulation. Now, I think there's other things in Second Peter three that probably argue against that. So I'll come back and look at that in just a second. 
Romans 8 is a key passage for understanding this because in, in this section we understand how the creation nature itself is under judgment from uh, because of man's rebellion against God from the Garden of Eden. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8:19 for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God now that occurs at the second coming because the curse is partially rolled back during the time of the kingdom. The lion will lie down with the lamb. Uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of the judgments upon the planet are changed, and the environment isn't 100% perfect, but it is restored to a, a near-perfect level during the period of the kingdom. That's what, Revel- that's what Romans 8, 21 and 22 is talking about. Um, but this is not talking about a... Uh, but this, and that's what this is talking about. It's not talking about the new heavens and new earth, although some try to fit those, uh, fit those together. Acts 3.21 says that heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. And so the phrase restoration is used to try to uh, suggest that we just have a restoration uh, take place of the earth. It's not a total recreation, but this is only talking about the kingdom. It's not talking about the uh, period after the messianic kingdom. Same thing with Matthew 19.28 when Jesus refers to the kingdom as the period of regeneration. That's the period of regeneration, though, for the nation Israel (coughs) as they are restored to the land during the messianic kingdom. This is not talking about the post-kingdom period. However, you have other passages that do indicate a complete destruction of the present heavens and earth. Uh, Psalm 102, 25 and 26, we read, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. In other words, there will be a complete destruction of this present heavens and present earth, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed. So this also shows that that idea of change which we saw in a couple of other verses, isn't just talking about a restoration. It's talking about a complete destruction of the present universe, the present uh, heavens and the earth, and a complete recreation of the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 34.4 states the same thing. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as the fruit fall uh, and its fruit falling from a fig tree. So again, you have a clear image there of the destruction of the present heavens and the present earth. Isaiah 51.6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever. So there's a contrast between the temporary nature of the present heavens and earth and eternal salvation. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24:35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So all of that, those verses indicate that there is going to be a present destruction of, I mean, a destruction of the present heavens and earth.
Now, back to 2 Peter 3. This is another key passage. It's debated by some, but I think that it's pretty clear that this must refer to a future destruction of the present heavens and the earth. Verse 7 states, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, the judgment of the ungodly occurs at the end of the uh, millennial kingdom. That's the great white throne judgment, which we studied at the end of Revelation chapter 20. Second Peter 3.10 then says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It is a surprise to those who are going to be judged in the day of the Lord. It's not a surprise to uh, believers who understand what is going on. Now, the term day of the Lord, as we saw in a study we did not long ago, can refer in a narrow sense to the events surrounding the end of the seven-year tribulation period, but it has a broader sense in which it covers the period from uh, just after the rapture, covers the whole tribulation period, and then also uh, into the uh, into the end of the millennial or messianic kingdom. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. I just don't see how you can get beyond uh, those words passing away and uh, melting with a fervent heat and saying that this is just a, a renovation of the planet, that this is just uh, rest, restoring the planet to a habitable state after the horrors of the, of the tribulation period. So it seems from this that there's a complete destruction of the present heavens and earth. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking forward, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt uh, with perfect uh, with fervent heat. And verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's appeared when there's no sin and there's still those who are born with sin natures during the uh, millennial kingdom. So that takes us basically through most of the issues. Now, there's a couple of uh, things I want to point out. One of the, I think, the better arguments that Revelation 21 speaks of a brand new heavens and new earth is that when you look at the end of verse 21, it says, and there will no longer be a sea. Now, the term there for sea indicates a salt sea, not fresh water. Now, we live in a planet that's about two-thirds ocean, but that's going to be a tremendous difference in the new earth. There will not be any salt sea. The seas will be gone. There will be more, less water, more land. And so this is a major distinction between the present earth and the, the future recreated earth of Revelation uh, 21.1. Uh, the salt seas are also indicative in Scripture of the presence of judgment and turbulence. The salt sea is a place that's uh, where you expect death. It's uncontrollable by man, uh, despite various uh, modern attempts to think that we can. Uh, we can't control the, the oceans, and so it is a place indicating that the present earth is a place of chaos 
And this is one of seven evils that John says in chapter 21 and 22 will no longer exist in the new heavens and the, and the new earth. He says that evil, I mean that um, uh, the salt sea will no longer exist. Death, mourning, weeping, and pain in 21.4, those things will have passed away. The curse is no longer present in 22.3. And night will no longer exist in chapter 21, 25, and 22, 5 because of the presence of God and the presence of Lamb and His glory will provide illumination uh, for the earth. Also, at the end of um, chapter 22, turn back to, go ahead and turn back to Revelation 21. At the end of Revelation 20, at the end of Revelation 20, when we see the description of the great white throne judgment, we're told in Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So this, again, indicates the, the removal of the present heavens and earth, and then there's the creation of the new heaven and new earth in 21.1. So the old heavens and the old earth will pass away. Now, here's just an interesting aside. You have all kinds of people who uh, believe in the literal nature of Revelation 21 that God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Question, how long is it going to take him? You know, they all think he's going to do that instantly. Ah, but when we go back to Genesis 1, he has to do it in millions or billions of years. There's just a disconnect there. See, if God can create the new heavens and the new earth instantly, why couldn't he have created the present heavens and earth instantly? I mean, if God's omnipotent, he can do anything. So that's just one uh, inconsistency you often find among uh, commentators and theologians. So there's uh, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. There's no more sea, salt sea, in the new heavens and the new earth, and so it appears that there is a, uh, a radical difference between the two. Also, there is a temple on the earth, the, the Ezekiel's temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48, uh, described there, but there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 states, uh, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So, again, this shows a distinction between these two uh, periods. So, therefore, we have to conclude that Revelation 21 carries the action forward beyond chapter 20. So, at the end of chapter 20, the present heavens and present earth are destroyed. A brand-new universe, brand-new earth is created in Revelation 21.1. And at the, what will be at the center, in other, as the theological center and the center of importance, is going to be the new Jerusalem. Just as the old earth had to be destroyed, uh, the old Jerusalem was destroyed with it in the destruction of the earth. But God's promise to Israel was that they would always have Jerusalem as a habitation. And so there is the creation of a new Jerusalem. Uh, John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
adorned for her husband. So tonight we'll just barely get started in looking at the New Jerusalem. We'll finish up with some of it next week. There's a lot of debate. In fact, in Revelation 21 and 22, there is uh, more uncertainty and debate about what's, how some of these things should be understood among uh, dispensational commentators and students than just about anything else because uh, so little is really said. People often ask me, well, what about this and what about that? What's it going to be like in heaven? I don't know. The Bible tells us very little about what life is going to be like in heaven. So we, we just have a, a couple of hints, but it doesn't really describe it in any detail. I think that's because we just can't comprehend it. But that it will be, we know that it's going to be wonderful and there will not be any sin and the old things will, like that will have passed away. And for example, in Isaiah 65, I didn't point out the verse, uh, but this has always been a, a verse that uh, I think gives comfort to a lot of people is that God uh, promises that in the new, he- uh, the new heaven and the new earth, which there, of course, is in the millennial uh, kingdom period, the messianic kingdom, that there will not be a, a memory of all of the things that took place uh, during this, this life. And so there will be a uh, forgetting uh, of those things um, that that uh, during that time, and we will not remember uh, all that has taken place during this particular uh, during this particular time upon the earth. Well, I thought I had that verse marked, and I. I missed it, but it's in uh, it's in that description. I just am not seeing it right now. That all all of that will be forgotten. What? 17. That's right. Seventeen B. For I behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So we're not going to be remembering the things that are that have taken place in this life, the sorrows, the heartaches, things like that are not going to be remembered. There won't be regret. There won't be uh, sorrow or sadness over those, over those things. Now, in Revelation 22, we're introduced to this new city, the holy city, uh, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, the study of the new Jerusalem also gets a little bit interesting because we're told enough to know of its reality and the greatest description of it is given here in chapter uh, chapter 21, but it still leaves a lot of questions uh, to answer. Is there, uh, if this is taking place during the eternal state, in the new heavens and the new earth, is there a new Jerusalem around the earth in the during the time of the messianic kingdom? And many believe that it is there, but it is suspended over the earth. Others think that, no, it's not really on the earth and, does, and is not revealed until you get into the new heavens uh, and the new earth. We do know that the understanding of a new Jerusalem as a heavenly city has a, a history that goes back uh, deep into the Old Testament. And, and Hebrews, chapter two, Hebrews, 
Hebrews 13, 14. The writer of Hebrews, in, his, in encouraging the, his reader, says, For here we have no continuing city. In other words, everything that in the present earth is temporal, temporary. It will eventually burn up. We do not have a continuing city, but we seek the one to come. That is, our focus should be on the future New Jerusalem. This goes back to what he had stated in Hebrews 11.8. And 11.10, that the Old Testament saints, like Abraham, understood that there was a heavenly city that was their ultimate destiny and would be an ultimate fulfillment of the promises that God had given to him. And in uh, Hebrews 11.8, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. For, verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there were a number of references to a heavenly temple. Moses and David were shown heavenly archetypes for both the tabernacle and the temple, according to Exodus 25, verses 9 and 40. And First Chronicles 28, 11, and 19. Uh, David was given a, a, a blueprint by God for constructing the temple. Uh, of course, he wasn't allowed to construct it. Solomon is the one who built it, but the pattern came from God. First uh, Chronicles 28, 11, and 19. Many times in the Psalms, uh, David spoke of God in his heavenly temple. Uh, one of these passages is in Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the Son of Man. In Psalm 23, 6, we will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. That's the same word for temple in the temple of God. Uh, also, Psalm 26, 8, Psalm 27, 4. Psalm 138, 2, or just some of the other passages where David speaks of God dwelling in his heavenly temple. Now, to fulfill the Old Testament promises that God had made about, uh, God, about Israel dwelling in Jerusalem forever, there necessarily must be a new Jerusalem. Psalm 125, 1 is just one of these many passages. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So for it to abide forever, if the present heavens and earth are destroyed, then there must be a future uh, new Jerusalem. Uh, The present heavens and earth clearly are burned up. We saw this earlier, Isaiah 34. For the host of heavens shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. But we've seen that in passages as well, like Isaiah 65:17 and 66:19, that Isaiah didn't see a clear distinction between the future messianic kingdom and the new heavens and new earth, and so they they were viewed together. It was it was conflated as other types of prophecies are. Now, when you get past the Old Testament, 
and the closing of the Old Testament canon with the conclusion of the of the uh, last revelation to the prophets, which occurred about 400 B.C., you enter into a period called the intertestamental period. Now, this is also during the time of the second temple, temple that was built by uh, Zerubbabel under the uh, supervision of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And so that period from uh, 516 B.C., up to uh, its destruction in AD 70 is referred to as the Second Temple Period. And this is the period when uh, Judah uh, and Israel are resettled by, by the Jews who come back primarily from Babylon. There's the restoration of the Temple, the Second Temple. And then there's all of the different uh, uh, wars that occur, fights between the Ptolemies, uh, in Egypt and the Seleucids in uh, Syria, fighting over control of the territory of Israel until finally under the Hasmoneans, they rise up uh, under the Maccabees and revolt against uh, the Syrians and establish uh, the uh, kingdom uh, under the Maccabeans. And then they are defeated by, by Rome in 44, uh, 44 B.C. or 60 B.C. rather, and in 44 um, then you have the establishment of Herod on the throne. And Herod comes to be the king. He's actually an Edomite, and he's a great architect, though. He loves to build. And um, and he, so he begins a complete restoration of the temple, which is referred to then as the Herodian temple. But it's just the second stage in the life of the second temple. So some people get confused on that. You have the second temple period that covers the whole period because the sacrifices never cease. So from 516 to 70, you have the second temple period that's subdivided into the uh, the first phase, which is the uh, Zerubbabel temple, and then the second period, which is the Herodian temple. But that's, uh, that is all covered as that, that second temple period. Now, during that period, after you get a major, you know, a large number of Jews returned from captivity under Ezra and later Nehemiah, there is a recognition in the community that they can't go through this again and they can't fall, fall, become guilty of the sins of idolatry that were the cause of God's displeasure and their defeat uh, in, in 586 B.C., and so they began to reshape and redefine their understanding of the law in terms of being a very rigid and rigorous in their application of the Mosaic law to make sure that they don't violate the law. This is what gives rise to later on to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and this whole period of, of the Second Temple period and the development of, of the rabbis and is a precursor to rabbinical Judaism that becomes established after the destruction of the temple because once the temple's destroyed, the big question is how do we continue without a central sanctuary and without a place to sacrifice? And so the rabbis met uh, at a place called uh, Jomnia in, in uh, Israel. And at the Council of Jomnia, there's a codification of the codes and standards that will govern the uh, the, rabbinic, the the period that will follow without a temple uh, temple in Jerusalem. So this period is usually referred to as the Talmudic period, uh, the post eighty uh, seventy period, the post temple period, and in the second temple period 
And in Talmudic Judaism, there's a lot that is said about a future New Jerusalem. There's a lot of <clears throat> extra-biblical literature that talks about a heavenly Jerusalem that is perfect in every sense. It's never been tainted by sin, never been tainted by corruption, and it will be that future perfect city that all of Israel will eventually uh, be related to. It will replace, uh, in, some, in some literature, it replaces the imperfect earthly Jerusalem, and in others, the earthly Jerusalem just becomes transformed into that new Jerusalem. There is uh, one book found among the Dead Sea Scrolls that is entitled The New Jerusalem. And uh, that is also preserved in some uh, a number of other scrolls. And in that particular uh, book of the, among the Dead Sea Scrolls, that particular scroll, uh, it's very similar in its description of the New Jerusalem and the temple there to Ezekiel's vision. Uh, sees the New Jerusalem as having 12 gates, each one named for the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel, just as uh, the New Jerusalem is described in Revelation chapter uh, 21. In the Talmud, the Talmud speaks of an earthly Jerusalem, uh, the Yerushalayim Shalmata, which, is called, which means Jerusalem the lower, and a heavenly Jerusalem, Yerushalayim Shalmaala, which is Jerusalem the upper. And uh, in uh, the Talmudic literature, it's believed that the New Jerusalem hovers invisibly over the earthly Jerusalem, and those that are righteous, those that are holy, will at times get a glimpse of the heavenly uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Yitzhak Hayutman, who's a Jewish uh, writer and authority on the heavenly Jerusalem, wrote, that in these legends, the intertestamental period, the heavenly Jerusalem is the archetype of the good to come, which will be revealed to all at the redemption of the world. At present, she hovers above the earthly Jerusalem, even when the latter lies in ruin or sin. But only the most righteous can see her in moments of grace. In Christian tradition, she is described at the end of the New Testament as descending out of heaven, perfect and complete at the consummation of history while Jewish legends emphasize the building from below to actualize the uh, heavenly Jerusalem. And it's interesting that in terms of uh, rabbinical eschatology, the, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem comes after the establishment of the messianic, uh, messianic kingdom. So this roughly follows the same pattern, the same chronology that we see in, in Revelation, that there's the new uh, the establishment of the Messianic Kingdom, Revelation 20, and then the destruction of the present heavens and the present earth, and then there is a new heavens and new earth in New Jerusalem. In the Talmud, in Baba Berakot 17a, it states that there will be no eating and drinking, no begetting of children, no bargaining, no jealousy, no hatred, no strife. In other words, uh, everybody's got an immortal body, so you don't need to eat or drink. There's uh, no sin anymore, no iniquity, no trespasses, so there's uh, no jealousy, hatred, or strife. But the righteous sit with crowns on their heads, enjoying the effulgence of the Shekinah, which is a vision that is not dissimilar from what we find in Revelation uh, 21. Also, there are, uh, there's a midrash on Isaiah 60, verse 19, that uh, 
is uh, mixed with a midrash on Psalm 132, which is very similar to the statements in Revelation 21, 22, and 23. So we find uh, interesting uh, information there in the intertestamental period. And then you get to the New Testament. We have the passages in Hebrews 11 I just mentioned, but also in Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, where Paul says, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So there's this recognition that there is this heavenly city of Jerusalem that is not visible, that is not present, but that will be brought down to the earth at the time and on the earth at the time of the new heavens and the new earth. And then Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God. And this is the Greek word skene, which really means that the dwelling, tabernacle means dwelling. The dwelling of God is with men. Now, way back, if you remember, at the beginning of Revelation, there is the vision, the initial vision that the uh, Apostle John has on, uh, on, on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a uh, vision of the throne of God, in Revelation chapter 1, verse uh, 5. And in Revelation 1, uh, or it starts in uh, ver- the last part of verse 4, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is and who is to come. Now, some people have tried to make that phrase refer to Jesus because of the who is to come. But it can't. First of all, the only one who sits on a throne in, in Revelation is God the Father. And secondly... He comes here in Revelation 21.3. It is the Father who comes and dwells with man on the earth. It's not just Jesus who returns as the Messiah to establish his kingdom on the earth during the millennial period, but in the new heavens and the new earth, God uh, in all three persons of the Trinity takes up his residence upon the earth. Behold, the tabernacle of God or the dwelling of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And then we have the verse that we're all fairly familiar with. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, because there's even death during the millennial period. Uh, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And so we have the... Uh, picture then of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven over the, uh, this is a picture of how some people think it will be during the millennial kingdom over the present, uh, present Jerusalem, and then um, uh, it will come all the way down to the earth. And we'll look at it next time when we talk about the dimensions of the new heaven and the new earth because it's 1,500 miles it's a 1,500-mile cube, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. That's like from here to uh, Washington, D.C., just for a 15, one, just for one length. So it would cover uh, about a little over half to two-thirds of the size of the United States. So it's, it's enormous. And that's one reason why there's not going to be room for a lot of oceans on the planet at that time for all of those who will be dwelling on the earth. So we'll come back next time, get into the next part of 21, dealing with the judgments that occur there and dealing with the inheritance and rewards uh, that are described in verses 5 through 8.
Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study through these things and see how the Old Testament fulfills the new. I mean, the new fulfills the old and how the old foreshadows the events in the new and how both testaments uh, complement each other along the same uh, themes and the same ideas. Now, Father, we pray that you would uh, encourage us, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we might be encouraged by our understanding of our destiny and that we might live today in light of eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.